So this is my friend, Get Midrange Buckets and Corner Threes, uh, but that's too long of a name, so we just call her Katie. <laughs> Katie gets buckets, man. Like, it's one thing that I can, like, I know that dribble, drive, kick, see, that's a bucket. <laughs> y'all, can just, y'all can start running back the other way. That's a bucket. We're we going to get seven of those and be up out of here. Uh, did, you, did, you see, um, did you see Allie beat Chris Paul? Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was... I, I knew it from this too. Right when it right when it was set up, I was like, "Oh, she about to get Chris Paul up out of here. He don't even know what's coming." Oh yeah, <laughs> was, that was great. Um, and I mean, I I wish that they had had uh, more WNBA players, just in, other than Tamika Kings and Ali Quigley. Like they're great. But, like it would also have been great to have because um, they were. Yeah. But like, I'm not gonna lie, I was I was like real excited when <laughs> when she beat CP3. Like I I like CP3. Don't get me wrong, but like. Come out, like, respect where respect is due. She is an incredible player, and she's a great shooter. So He he was making his shots, too. That's the thing that was <laughs> – I was like, the, 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 I'm like, the one thing I know, I know – I was like – the girls would come up there, like, three to five deep, three or four of them, and I just know, like, okay, wait. We need only people who can really, really hoop right now. Otherwise, we're never going to play again. <laughs> Girls about to come up here and destroy everything because they don't miss. And I don't know what it is about girls that, like, y'all first – the first thing y'all learn is a consistent jump. That jumper be just – it just – every time. Like, you can't give her no space because it's going in. And I saw that. I was I saw that. I was like, damn. Chris Paul out of there first round. How much <laughs> how much can I put on? It's hard to like it's one of the weird things about uh I guess I guess one of the weird things about like the US is that you get hit over the head about how great everything is all the time and then if you ever compare it to other, like in a situation like this, you're like, wow, they, they got rinsing stations for everybody. Like <laughs> you look over in like Hong Kong or you look in other places and you're like, wow, they just, in Spain, they don't, the cops don't beat you down. They give you a mask. They just give you a mask. We don't even have masks. Like, so it's just, it's crazy. And it's kind of like sobering. And uh, it, I guess, I guess it is humility, right? Like it kind of puts it back like, dang, it could be better. We're not where we should be. Uh, but people are doing, you know, a, a fairly decent job, at least here, of uh, not just being in the street just to be in the street. People are staying at home. Yeah, we, uh, in Colorado, we, for the most part, people have been okay-ish. Um, but there's been a big problem with people going from Denver into the smaller mountain communities. Um, and, you know, when they're supposed to be able to stay at home order. And that's been a big problem because uh, communities, basically none of them are prepared for a pandemic. And our cases really skyrocketed in the mountains. 
Um, and so there's just been this, this push to try to keep people out of the mountains. Um, the Colorado Department of Transportation came out and said, like, don't go from Denver to the mountains. Um, the cops started taking county plates uh, if you're, like, in the wrong county kind of thing. Um, but people are still doing that, which is not great, <laughs> to say the least. So what? it's been it could be a lot better. <laughs> what reason would people have to, um, I mean, is it just, is it work? Is it just, I just like to be in the mountains? Like what is, what's up there? Like what's so important that people just, are they just not used to being stuck in the house? Like what, what do you think is driving that? Yeah. Um, so Colorado has, uh, what makes, what makes Colorado different that you think, you know, from what you've been able to see from your Illinois friends, like, What's been a main difference that you've seen in as far as handling the coronavirus response? Um, the main difference out here is that the is much more is much more focused on independent liberties than it is back in Chicago. So I can't really see Illinois because I only lived in Chicago, but Colorado in general, there's very much a an individual liberties kind of movement out here, which makes responding to a community-wide crisis a lot harder. What does it mean to be prepared for a pandemic? Like, who is? Um, it basically just looks like... So we need to invest more in our public health infrastructure in general. And it's a much bigger question than just, you know, the smaller places, the more rural places in the U.S. not being prepared. It's basically everywhere is unprepared. Um, and kind of the way that our healthcare system is set up, it is basically set up so that it is near capacity at all times. And so that means when you have a very large crisis that impacts the health of a lot of people, so something like September 11th or a pandemic, say, it's very easy to overwhelm the healthcare system. And yeah. um, it go ahead. No, I was I was I was just thinking about one of my boys who um, is a doctor, and when he was doing his uh, uh, he was doing his not his residency, but he was he was just about to get into practicing, and then he was working in the emergency room. And mm -hmm. I think they got to do it's some weird amount of hours you got to do like in certain spots, and he was in the emergency room. Uh, yep. And he was at Harvard. So he was in the ER during the Boston Marathon bombing. Mm -hmm. And it completely changed everything about how he, you know, how he felt and how he dealt with uh, going forward and, you know, pursuing medicine. It was one of those things that, like, I remember I talked to him the day after and he sounded like, you know, you know, how like, like PTSD, like, like he had been in a war. And it's, it's crazy because, I mean, it was a similar scene, right? People coming in and they were, you know, uh, but a lot of it, a lot of it too was just the frustration of like it being so overwhelming at the time. Like, whoa, all these people just, we just got slammed. Yeah. You know, and I, he, he really kept like hitting on that. And I'm like, what do you mean? You, I thought you guys like, I thought it was good out there. I thought you had plenty of stuff, but that's when I start kind of hearing that like, there's, you know, there's never really just open beds like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's never, it's, it's just, it's not designed to be that way. 
Um, and so, you know, when something, you know, like that happens, it ends up that it's just, it's very, very easy to overwhelm a specific place. Um, and, you know, in general, like rural areas are even less prepared to be hit hard than urban areas. So, you know, Boston, you're talking about Boston, which means, you know, they have a lot of hospitals in Boston. You've got just a ton of research universities there, and most of them dabble in medicine at the so they've usually got hospitals attached to them. Um, and then you've got just like your normal, you know, standalone hospitals that are not necessarily attached to university inside of the city. Um, and so, you know, in theory, you've got a lot of resources there. But when you start talking about more rural America, you know, you're talking about single digits of ICU beds, for example, um, and sometimes no ICU beds. And this is also sort of an intersection of what's been going on um, for a long time now of there have been a lot of rural hospitals across the United States that have closed down because they just they cannot function because part of what hospitals are expected to do in the U.S. is function like a business. And, you know, it, a lot of a lot of places hospitals in the rural United States just could not operate anymore because they didn't have any money. And so when you start talking about those communities that have been suffering because especially because their hospital shut down um, and then those people then have to go to another county maybe in order to receive health care, then that other county is now also bearing the brunt of more people than they would have ever been prepared to actually treat at any one time uh, during a situation like this. And so it's... <laughs> It's sort of this convergence of, and a convergence of all of the kind of policy choices that have been made uh, in recent years, and also in you know not so recent years, um, going up. And we just we haven't been investing in our healthcare system and in public health infrastructure the way that we should have been in order to really address a pandemic like this. And so now, and then you know on top of that we have such a piecemeal response right now across all 50 states. <laughs> we yeah, are, everybody's doing something different. Exactly. We're not presenting a unified front from the federal level. And so because everybody's doing something different, everybody's grappling. And so it just, it looks very, very different upon where you live. So like Illinois looks really different than Colorado looks right now. And Colorado looks really different than Nebraska does. And like, we all look very different than California or New York. <laughs> um, right. And it really, it really highlights, I think, just a lot of different things within our society and the way that it's structured um, that, you know, people have been trying to get conversations started around and it, you know, for whatever reason it's failed. Um, <laughs> but now I think it, you're sort of being slapped in the face by it. And so it's like, well, at some point. You started a Facebook group called COVID-19 Coronavirus Information and Support. I did. And being a plus, what was the, what was, what was your thinking? What was the catalyst here? Because the group has been wildly successful, like, and just blew up. It just sprung up. My life has been weird in the last five, six weeks, which I know everybody, um, but like I went into epidemiology because I wanted to fly underneath the radar and do stats and science and, not have anybody know my name. Um, but what happened was when the pandemic started posting about it on my personal page, 
And I started getting a lot of feedback from people about how they found it really helpful. So I was also, and I'm doing the thing on another job, which is I work for Medicaid. Uh, I was sitting around one weekend and trying to think of how I could help my community. Um, and there was a Facebook group for the neighborhood that I live in. And so I went into that Facebook group and outed myself as an epidemiologist. And now this is my third pandemic. Um, and when I went into that Facebook group and outed myself, I'm talking within maybe 10 minutes, there were people that had reacted to me and Facebook friend request. And I all I didn't realize that people would be hungry for information like that. Um, and so I was caught very aware. And um, it was it was shocking. So then instead of having a whole bunch of people on my Facebook feed that I don't know, I decided to start the Facebook. Initially, I maybe 200 people, um, but it into a couple thousand very, very quickly. And now it's, I think, hovering somewhere around, you know, 2100 or so. Um, but, and I mean, it sprung up and within weeks, it was like, I went from, oh man, I don't know if anybody what I have to do. Okay, now every on top of my day job, I have to spend four hours on Facebook um, trying to update stuff and people and things that I think that they should know and that are relevant um, and pulling through information people across all states. Um, so it, it originally started off as just like trying to help the neighborhood that I live in and it rapidly turned into now we provide information for all 50 states plus Puerto Rico and DC. That's, that's amazing. Um... Well, thank you, first of all, because <laughs> you don't have to do that. And that's um, it's one of the things that like we're, we're starting to, to learn about a little, bit, a little bit of something about everybody. Right. Like you don't everybody can do something and you found something that's like, all right, this is going to help, you know, everybody. It was just a local thing, but now it's everywhere. And you can kind of see that people people do need to help because people just don't understand. In your in your group, though, there's let's see there's it's actually organized by state which is pretty cool because you've become yeah. you've become the angry mom on the block who can now be like like you just <laughs> go home stay home yeah, like that's your thing now and yeah so everyone yes. is like stay home colorado stay home Illinois, which is hilarious because you're the, you're the opposite <laughs> of that but it's just funny because like in work mode, you're like, we, I'm trying to get through this, and the best way we can do this is to distance socially, which means I don't need to be seeing you, and you need to go home right now. Um, you've done a yeah. great job getting your point across. So um, the posts are organized by state. You can come in and search and look around, and it's just hilarious that with all these, there's the, some of them are like, you know, stories that come from the government. Some are cut that are like anecdotal local stories. And a lot of the ones that are like, people are still infected, stay home. Um, I always get a little chuckle out of that when they pop up and they say, stay home. I mean, like, <laughs> Katie says, stay home. And I'm like, oh, no, that's for Oregon. That's for, no, no, she gave me one too. She said, Illinois, stay home. <laughs> um, but there's also. The blanket statement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's also really, um, there's some clutch information in here, like testing sites and where you can go. If you believe you have coronavirus, you can get tested. Uh, Walgreens is doing them, um, and and 
my home state of Illinois. And uh, there's looks like there's one on the west side in Austin, and there's one um, in Bolingbrook. And if you call and make an appointment, yep. you can go and do that. But another one of the things is really uh, it's really, I don't want to say unique, but I think it's important too, because you were talking about how everybody hits you up at one time. There's a, a stream of frequently asked questions. People always have questions and there are no, you know, because people genuinely don't understand, there's no stupid questions. So yep. you get a lot of things that may seem like, wow, you didn't understand that, but people really don't know. Um, is, there, is there anything that you want people like, yo, this is a common misconception you need to know this and whether you get it from me or somebody else like this is the truth stuff like um i don't know i've heard a lot about just you know you hear conspiracy theories you hear uh this ain't nothing but 5g uh what else do we hear the illuminati and yeah 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 um i think the so the thing that i would want everybody to know is this virus isn't this virus isn't just going to go away. Um, and the reason that we're socially distancing right now is because we don't want to overwhelm our healthcare system. And I can't belabor that point enough. Um, overwhelming the healthcare system means that more people die than need to. And at this point, you know, we've we're already well over 20,000 people that we have lost in this country. Um, and if we overwhelm the healthcare system by just kind of going about life as usual, we're going to lose a lot more people. We are talking on the magnitude of like millions of people. And that's a very big deal. Is that why um, the deaths that are, you know, deaths that aren't necessarily directly um, classified or not classified, but like, Oh, Hey, we've diagnosed this as COVID-19. Is that why there's more deaths, um, that aren't necessarily directly uh, named that way that are kind of on the back end getting, uh, I guess, kind of analyzed that way. Like, Oh, these are all COVID deaths and people are getting up in arms because, well, that person didn't necessarily get diagnosed with COVID, but as a result of the system being overwhelmed, that person might've died because they, you know, they might not have necessarily had to, had they been able to get treatment. So you see, uh, you see kind of numbers of, deaths be corrected because what ends up happening is you can figure out after the fact if somebody actually did die from COVID. Um, Even if they hadn't been tested, you can go in after the fact and figure that out. And so, you know, that lack of testing that I've talked a lot about in that Facebook group is a really, really big deal. Um, And it's, it's basically like testing is the number one tool in the public health toolkit at this point and we still don't have enough of it and so you have a lot of people that are very sick and have covid but we just can't test them for it and we haven't tested them for it you have people who are very very sick with covid and have died at home for example and so those cases end up being counted kind of retroactively um, because again, you know, people aren't being tested at the at the rate that you know we need at this point. Wait, but like, be kind to each other. I know that everybody's having bad days right now because it sucks. They need the additional 
crappiness added to their day, somebody being a troll, or just kind of being a jerk. <laughs> How have you been protecting yourself throughout this like ordeal? I am really, really lucky and I'm really privileged because I can work from home. And I actually worked from home a couple of times a week. So I've been home for, I think, five weeks. I early, early mornings to go for a run before people are really up and about. Like, I, haven't, I haven't gotten behind the wheel of my car in a while. Um, and by a while, I mean, <laughs> wow. uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, and, you know, what you said earlier, become like the mom that screams on the block, everybody inside and has to, <laughs> 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 well, no, you know, nature is very, like, I am on the road constantly. Um, I mean, when it broke and I, uh, constantly traveling and so like, I've been home for five weeks like I'm I am okay because I understand very well obviously since like it's my job too um but yeah it's like I haven't left my house in like five weeks <laughs> <laughs> that's nuts man like how um how's your knee oh it's not uh, been a lot my ACL in January and uh, I tore my ACL Yes, actually. Um, but I had several doctors look at it, and the consensus was that very weird joints because they're very bendy, very strong, and you don't get that combination very often. So with the partial ACL, I was able to get through without, um, and I was actually able to go back to all of my activities at country skiing two days before the resorts out in Colorado closed. <laughs> wow. So I. I do thing now every once in a while, but and run on it and bring up, you know, for some pretty decent miles on it. Um, but because as a, the thing that I was always so tired of was blowing an ACL, yep, and then yep. it happened. <laughs> and then when it happened, I um, I just I was in a lot of denial, and then. Yeah the doc to talk to them about it I asked about a partial tear as being a possibility and the answer was like well those are really just big but I just have these weird joints <laughs> which played to my favor because I ended up with a partial tear and I got through it without surgery so hooray <laughs> yeah, that's man that's a hooper's worst nightmare every time 10 times out of 10 yeah <laughs> I've been spending a lot of time thinking about the Department of Corrections during this pandemic and how uh, pandemic highlights problems that we already had and exacerbates those problems. One of the biggest places that you see that is in the Department of Corrections because our prison system is designed in a very specific way and our laws are designed in a very specific way. What do you think it is about um, prison that, for some reason, we just don't care? Like, is it do we do you think people overwhelmingly have this belief that 
people in jail belong there? They did something like, is there a, do you think people just don't, don't know like a lot of the circumstances or don't care? I think there are a few things potentially um, out of sight, out of them and potentially the biggest one. Uh, if, unless you are directly impacted by the Department of Corrections with a friend, family member. Yeah, you bring up a good point about um, like the community aspect that may be different because like, you know, communities of color are used to kind of dealing with incarceration, right? Like that's part of, it's just part of the culture. Like sometimes people are in jail, which um, Mm -hmm. obviously is disproportionate rates. So there's a culture, kind of like a response to that, that's been, okay, don't forget about our people in jail. So you hear it all the time in like black music, you see it like people, you know, shout outs on TV and stuff. It's always, you know, what do we have to do to make sure it's not out of sight, out of mind? You think that's different? Um, Like from a more like general perspective, you think that's different? Do you think white people maybe just don't necessarily have that same culture because they're not locked up as much? Yeah, I mean, I think this, you know, this pandemic really does exacerbate the health disparities that we see underlying a lot of communities. And I think the curation piece of that is like a huge component of that. And um, it's one of those, you know, it's the outside, out of mind thing. And because, uh, you know, certain communities just aren't in, in impacted by um, incarceration the same and so it's very easy for the ones that aren't so a lot of white communities that aren't directly impacted by incarceration or at least not in ways that others to forget about or to in the broad strokes of just like well if they're probably belong there for me in some way or they are bad for my community in some way so I'm just going to forget about them um, and a lot more nuanced than that uh, and we shouldn't get just because they're incarcerated and again it i think the worst part about this is that like the onus is on that is then on the community that is proportionally by this to come into it um because otherwise right nobody else is going to bring it up um and that's you know yet another another way that like this cyclical um the cyclical horribleness basically it just continues. And I the thing I'll say about it is that like at least the media hasn't covering it. Right. And so that's it into the public spotlight. Um and like the big public spotlight, like everybody. Um and so the more people that we can get about this, the better. And at least be aware of it as a problem. Kind of, kind of piggybacking off that. There's another aspect of this that's just been really, um, it's it's starting to get more attention because it's a little ridiculous. Like we have so many different things that are, like it makes sense, but then it doesn't make sense in how it's executed. And one of those is uh, uh, essential workers, right? Like mm-hmm. essential workers, the majority of you know people that we've designated to uh, keep our society going they don't make the money that they you would think they would make, right? Like if you're an essential yeah. part of the economy, you think they would be paid more. Uh, and you see now there's kind of like this, this almost performative 
uh, measure to like celebrate them as heroes when, mm-hmm. you know, and it seems like that's in exchange for not paying them. <laughs> like, do you think there will be a, some kind of, uh, I don't know, some, some kind of balance there? Like maybe they can get paid more after this? Um, no, I mean, it's really hard to say. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, I genuinely wonder if uh, people just did not think about it before um, until something like this came along in such a very specific way and maybe now and I mean I (laughs) part of me wants to say like yeah maybe after we come out of this we will start to rethink how we value different jobs sets and the different ways that will contribute to our society right um Hmm. that would be really nice (laughs) I somehow doubt it but (laughs) (laughs) right I don't know. I'm trying to find way, reasons to be optimistic. <laughs> and yeah. so like, like hopefully, but probably not. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's always funny. Like seeing these commercials, we was actually uh, talking about this last night. We was making fun of this. Um, you, you see all of these like completely disingenuous tone deaf commercials from like manufacturers and from, uh, distributors and all these different I'm trying to not use brand names but you see these commercials and it's like our employees are heroes and it's like okay I don't think they want a commercial with like generic people in it. I think they want $20 an hour <laughs> like can you yeah can you- I mean yeah I mean it's it's like they want to see they want to know that they're actually valued and I think things that I have attention to as well as stuff is um, looking at meat, pro- meat processing plants and just factories as a larger picture. Um, and, and it's one of those, like, we really, you know, the factory workers are some, are just like a group of people fall out of the generic public context very quickly. And, you know, if we, if we actually do value them, then we need to not have commercials about it. We, we need to have standards for, that are, you know, standards and rules and regulations that are put in place that actually protect them and keep them safe, especially during like this, right? Like a pandemic where being like in South Dakota, the biggest hotspot that they have in the state is a factory. And factory workers also happen to be disproportionately people of color. Um, And so, you know, this (laughs) conversation that we're having now intersects with all of these bigger broader conversations because we're seeing health disparity on the ground in real time and one of the things i've been seeing a lot in um circles is um there's been a lot of comparisons to the united states and sweden and sweden did not implement social distancing measures very quickly at all and so in Tennessee, Vanderbilt University put out basically Tennessee uh, put into place those social distancing measures, and Tennessee has about half the population of Sweden. Right now, as of today, Tennessee stood some 30 deaths, like around 1,200. So that right there shows you like the power of prevention because Sweden didn't implement 
their death toll is higher than it needs to be. Like it does not need to be that high. You know, 1,200 people did not need to die right now. Their their death did not be that high. Um, and so it's one of those like it's really really hard to sell prevention to people. But when you start looking at deaths in real time and the number of people that didn't need to die, uh, it's one of those things that like the more that I can communicate, it, the better. Um, saves more lives ultimately. Yeah. It's it's hard to believe we beat Sweden at some. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I don't know about overall, but like Tennessee, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then it was Tennessee. And it was Tennessee, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah, a state that you would not have got. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's hard, and it's something that I've been thinking about a lot in the last twelve hours or so. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the the biggest things is, is convincing people that it's working like the fact that we haven't had you know a massive death toll is is proof that it works but when you're when it's something that's invisible excuse me when there's something that's invisible like you're not seeing it out there there's not an enemy that you can go like oh here come the rona it's walking down the street right now everybody like you know close your blinds it's it's not that way so people can't really see it it's not a tornado it's not a hurricane like you can't track it. It's just everywhere. And I think our whole, our media system is set up for visibility. So when there's something that's invisible, how do you convince people that it's legit? Yeah, it only becomes visible when it's too late, right? Like think about New York. That's when it's too late. I've been thinking a lot about scammers and how... I spend a lot of my time trying to debunk pseudoscience and what I call woo, um, but also, and why I think it's not on people's vulnerabilities, especially when times are so scary um, and confusing. But also, things to be said, I too, about some people have to make a living and I disagree with how they do it, but I, it's, it's a hard thing for me to reconcile because I don't want to be scammed, but I also don't want people to go hungry, for example. Has, in, in your mind, has this made a case for big government or for small government? Ah, that's such a good question. Because because people can play it both ways, right? People can say like right. this is true, you know, but what's the what's the real answer? Because there's got to be an answer. Yeah, I mean, I I keep, <laughs> I keep harping on like this is really what this really highlights for me is the need for public infrastructure, and I mean that that basically gives you gives away my answer right there, right? Because if I'm if I am rallying for more infrastructure, that means that like I fundamentally think that you know the government can and should be providing essential services for us and is an essential service and if we had a more robust infrastructure at this point we would have been better prepared for the pandemic every every like there's there's a lot of uh polling coming out uh and i 
it's it's tough, right? Because when you're in situations like this, they don't want it to like you can't be political, but at the same time, you know, it's something you got to acknowledge what's going on. Like, I, yeah. I can't, I don't want to just keep dancing around the subject, but um, there's a lot of polling that people want some kind of overlying healthcare system that's not tied to to work, uh, and it, it goes across. It, yeah. Yeah, it goes across uh, party. It goes across, you know, uh, pay range, a lot of different stuff. Um, people would like to see it. And it's just it's tough uh, to see something like this that because the argument has always been, well, then the government would botch it. But in a system like in a situation like this, where it's, it's virtually necessary for the government to be able to to get this out to everybody, like people weren't complaining about the government botching they $1,200. Like they, they took that, they got it and it worked. So there are things that are put in place and systems and ways to reach people. Um, and it could work on the state level too. It could work at a local level. Uh, yeah. Lori Lightfoot texted everybody and told them to go in the house earlier this year. So it can, <laughs> it, it can work. Um, just, I guess, what is that balance uh, when it comes to public health? Is it, is it, is it going to be found or is it something that's just like, Hey, we got to keep playing the game and see where we get. Yeah. I, I really don't know. I mean, work for me, right. That was a choice um, because yeah. I believe, you know, I've got a back like health and healthcare in general. And I believe in general that like it would be, we would be much better off as a society if we didn't health and employment um, and I mean, I think you're seeing a very good example of that right now, right? Like so many people are all of a sudden unemployed in the midst of a pandemic. Um, and now they don't have health care and horrible new virus that make, that could potentially put you in the ICU. Um, that is expensive. To, that's more than very, $1,200. More than $1,200 for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... I, I understand the reservations about government and government botch it. However, I mean, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I think public health infrastructure is just as important as the roads that you drive on. And I don't think there's anybody in the country that's like super psyched about how the of their roads, right? Because no matter where you are, construction is a season and it's obnoxious and everybody has, you know what I mean? And like there are potholes and, you know, nobody is like touting how great their roads are. Um, for the most part, it's one of those like, well, um, this is really, really necessary. The thing is too, this will happen again. You know, everybody keeps talking about the 1918. We are now in 2020. So it's been a hundred years. As our numbers continue to expand, um, as our populations continue to grow, this will happen more and more because we encroach on spaces that we really wouldn't be in, which increases the risk of spillover events, which is what this one was in the epi world. We've been talking about this for a very, very long time of just like, it's a matter of when, not, not if, like what's it going to be and what will happen again. And like, as much as it sucks right now, we better start learning from this. 